Welcome to Decision Space, the only podcast that takes place right here between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake. And I'm Brendan. And today we are talking about villagers, a tableau building, drafting card game. And I can't wait to jump into the conversation. Gotta draft them all. I'm excited for this one too. Yeah. And before we do anything else, I really feel like I neglected something in the last episode that listening back, I felt bad about. So I want to take a moment to ask, how is Miller? How is Maya? How are you doing with the baby? Oh my gosh, you're so kind. We're doing fantastically. It's So he, today is his uh, four-week birth anniversary, um, which is crazy. He's changed so much since then. He's growing a bunch. Uh, the first week was brutal, just like so rough. I was like, is life ever going to be okay? Uh, just because we were so sleep deprived, but we've really settled into what feels like something normal. I was trying to decide if I should share this anecdote, but he had a no, I'm not going to do it. Okay. But like the diaper situation is out of control. That's all I'll say. <laughs> um, but he's like more alert lately. And yeah, everyone's doing great. You're so sweet to ask, Jake. Well, I can't relate to the diaper situation. I'm sure all of our parent listeners can. Uh, so I'm so happy to hear that. And I was listening to a little bit of uh, criticism of, of some other podcasts that kind of take take a long time to get into the meat of the show in the fantasy football podcast setting, which I've been just like mainlining lately to prepare for my fantasy drafts. So I don't want to do that. Let's jump right into it. But I did want to at least check in with you first. So For our pre-planners out there, next week we're going to be covering Jaipur, a two-player card game, Uh, numbers on card game, another kind of drafting one. So there might be some interesting uh, kind of similarities or comparisons to that and this week's episode. So that should be a lot of fun uh, as well. But let's jump right into our ratings and slogans for villagers. Uh, I'm the host this week, so Brendan, I'm going to make you do the honors and go first. Villagers is like a beautiful two-day-old fruit pastry. It's colorful, a bit delightful, and made to be pleasing to all. And ultimately, not quite delicious as it could be. 7.0. Oh. 7.0. Okay, hey, that's that's a higher number than I thought. For I don't know that I would give a two-day-old pastry a 7 out of 10. <laughs> I think there's a I think if I was just rating the gameplay itself i might rate it lower but there's a lot about the design that i think merits a higher score that i'd love to get into in the episode and the designer is the graphic designer and the game designer so pretty cool that's how about you jake i didn't know that um so that's awesome i think villagers i'm gonna keep it really short villagers is the kind of board game that you want to take home to introduce to your parents It's, you know, it's short, it's sweet, it's grokkable for anyone. But I'm right there with you. I'm giving this a 7 out of 10 as well. Uh, so two sevens, we're sweeping it with the sevens. Uh, as people in our Discord rightly point out, we give everything sevens, but this is no exception. <laughs> or they roast us for giving out tens, but that's fine. <laughs> also, to all the people in our Discord who said you guys should stop rating on a scale of one to ten and instead do buy it, play someone else's copy, don't play it at all, you should add take it home to play with your parents to your rating <laughs> scale. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, you know, I think that kind of gives people a good idea of, you know, where I'm at with this game. I think board gamers are going to get that. Um, So let's jump 
into the game background. As you already mentioned, uh, it's the designer is also the artist of this game. And I think it's super sweet, endearing art. Um, it, you know, I, I saw at least one person criticizing perhaps like the roles in which different depictions of people are played or, or, or portrayed on these cards. But at least there's good representation, a variety of different types of people. Um, so, I mean, I would give that a thumbs up from from my vantage point. Uh, this game is a 2019 game. It's one to five players. Uh, and its tagline is draft cute medieval villagers to complete production chains and earn gold. Earn wow. gold! <laughs> Yay! And uh, I think also notably, it's a Kickstarter game that came out uh, at that time, obviously. And it recently had another Kickstarter that did really well. So this is definitely a game that people who have that people love and they've gotten behind and supported and brought into existence. And I think as we get into this episode, Jake and I will sort of unpack why we think that is and why maybe lots of parents, no, just kidding. Lots of people are kickstarting this game. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, the, the, you know, getting gold, I was looking through some of the Kickstarter materials uh, for the, you know, upcoming version or expansion or whatever. And it's all, it's all like a bunch, it's like new cards and new combos to get rich. <laughs> it's like, that's so <laughs> It's just funny to me because that's not really like, yeah, gold is points at the end of the day. But when I play this game, I'm not thinking about like, oh, yeah, I'm making so much money. I'm just like, it's just points to me. Yeah. And I'm more like, oh, I'm so glad that my village has a carpenter now. What did, <laughs> like, what did we do before that? Yeah, We have a bed builder somewhere to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, and, and that, you know, that's another good thing to kind of put here in the synopsis of the game is there is like a sweet element of like seeing the type of village that you've made, whether you're uh, you have a monopoly on beer and you just got you're just producing beer uh, right and left or like, I don't know why we need all these wheels, but like if y'all need wheels, we're making them here in this village, you know, it, and you can kind of tell yourself a little bit of a story. I actually did pick up this game myself uh, after playing it and enjoying it online because I did think it would be a fun one to play with my parents, with my wife. Um, and I brought it out to a bar uh, that was with my wife, Bridget, and we didn't know it, but there was like, it was actually like trivia night at the bar. So it's just like a kind of a disaster. We had like had to like pull over another table for like our spillover of cards everyone around us is like playing trivia they're like yelling at me from the front like dude hey you in the back get off your phone i'm like i'm not playing <laughs> i'm doing this other thing <laughs> we're playing this game did yeah. the table like squeak as you pulled it over too like in the middle of trivia night like, <laughs> no, we were there we were there first so it seemed fine when we were setting it up and then we were like it just like slowly dawned on us like why does that guy have a speaker at the front oh no oh. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> it's trivia night um but yeah so that, that was fun and and we were definitely uh bridget was telling some great tales about the kind of uh i can't remember now but the kind of town she had built and she really enjoyed it so that's that's worth a lot to me yeah a bridget blessing is worth a lot to me as well she's like yeah. some of the games that i like most so that's awesome that's a, that's the synopsis of this game let's jump into brendan's wonderful rules overview to give you a little bit of a better idea about how to play villagers villagers is a card drafting set collection game for one to five players the game's deck consists of seven different suits, for example, wood, ore, hay, grains, and so on. 
A couple more suits are added for games with four or more players to add some more cards to the card pool. Card backs in Villagers provide partial information, showing which suit a card belongs to. Each card front depicts a different villager whom players might potentially draft to add to their village. Carpenters, brewers, locksmiths, blacksmiths, bed builders, coopers, thatchers, harvesters, shipwrights, and so on. Villagers is broken up into two discrete phases, the draft phase and the build phase. In the draft phase, players take turns selecting a card from one of two areas on the board. The road, a display of six face-up cards, or from one of six stacks of face-down cards above the road. Players may select a card from either location, however, if they're drafting from a face-down stack, they'll only know the suit they're drafting, not the exact card. During the build phase, players will add villagers to their village. Most cards in villagers come in the form of production chains, so a base card must be added first, then increasingly more valuable cards may be played on top of it if it matches that production chain. For example, if a hare is present, a grazer may be played on top of that, then a milkmaid, and so on. Base cards may have two matching production chains tied to them, and cards may also be added back to those face-down stacks that players are drafting from uh, to build base villagers for the three most common suits, wood, ore, and hay. This discarding mechanic allows for players to time when certain cards might come back to the card pool, put cards back that they don't need immediately for base ones, or control some other things in the game. Villagers added to a player's village do a number of different things. Increase the number of cards a player can draft, increase the number of cards a player might build, gain points, or unlock villagers, a mechanic that allows players to gain additional points or have to pay points to the reserve or other players if certain cards are present in their village or their opponents. The game has two scoring phases called markets, one that occurs dynamically early in the game and another at the end of the game. Villagers is a game of calculated risk-taking, textured over a light economic system and a timing puzzle. The player with the most points scored between the two scoring phases cumulatively is declared the victor. As always, I think having a quick glance at a picture of villagers or even some of the cards in the game will give you a way better sense for how this drafting game plays. Thank you, Brendan, for that wonderful rules overview. Let's jump right into our main conversation about the decision space in this game, starting with you know our patented decision space discussion of the size, type, feel, and clarity of decisions in this game. Let's start with just the size. So I think this is like a moderately... It's a pretty small decision space, actually, because given the amount of suits in the game, um, you fairly quickly, there's like, I forget how many suits exactly, like seven or eight suits. And then fairly quickly, you like wane down in what you're choosing between. And I think you have a certain amount of strategic variability in like what the cards you can bring together to make a viable build are. But in terms of flexibility, it's a highly inflexible system, right? Some of the most interesting decisions come with the lock and key mechanism where you might be, is it worth it to maybe start building this card, even if it's going to make me pay the bank or pay one of my opponents? But overall, I feel like it's a sort of small to medium decision space. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, I think it's definitely on the smaller side, maybe even the smallest of any of the games we've covered yet on this show. Uh, I would have to look through the list and really think about that. But it's definitely on the smaller side. And I think the more I play the game, 
almost the fewer it's it's I think it's coming more common that I have more interesting decisions in the drafting phase. Like I can think just having a better understanding of how the game goes, I can think through it in a more nuanced way. And it, it's becoming less and less frequent that my decisions are just like a snap decision. It's like I can build that card, obviously I take that card. But still, I feel like the vast majority of drafting decisions in this game are those snap decisions where it's just like, yep, that's the card I definitely want. That's objectively the best for the build that I already have going. Yeah, definitely. I think this we can lean on the language that we created in our episode about uh, choices versus decisions, because I think it's a game. Villagers is a game with a ton of choices. And the more you play it. It's a game that has fewer and fewer meaningful decisions, um, which is why it feels so small to us. And I think for some context for listeners, I, when I first started playing Villagers, got quickly obsessed. Um, and this is after the baby was born. And I played 34 games in total on Yukata and got into the top 7% of players. Um, and I was just playing in the middle of the night a lot, uh, taking async turns. And I think as I progressed and as I played more, I experienced even more of what Jake is talking about. Also, just for the listener, so you know, for the record, Jake did hold my ELO back, kept me under <laughs> being just over a thousand because he beat me in like three out of the five games and I'm still pissed about it. But <laughs> but more importantly, I think it is a game with interesting decisions, but a few interesting decisions that happen consistently. Uh, lots of choices, a few interesting decisions yeah and i guess just to clarify what i was saying is when you first start playing right it you have more as you're saying because you don't understand necessarily like what can come out of the deck um but very quickly you do and then to your point it becomes narrowed down but i found i think it opens up a little bit more with like expert play like really understanding you know i found there there's been like kind of a bell curve mm. Uh, or an inverse bell curve, right? Where it starts with a lot of decisions and it comes to very few and it's slowly creeping back up to where I feel like as I play the game today, I have more interesting decisions in that drafting phase. And I guess the building phase as well as when I just knew the game, like knew how to play the game now that I'm approaching more skilled play. I think that that's really interesting. I think for me, the curve starts, well... Village, we're, there's so much that we're like we're getting at the whole discussion at once which i sort of love because we're so excited to talk about the game um, <laughs> rather than going at it like piece by piece but i think in terms of the decisions for me it starts pretty static because you start with a, a set um, array of cards that are in the first drafting um, array that you can do so it's always the same cards that you're choosing from which is really interesting that there's like a set starting position yeah we'll, we'll talk about that yeah and then so you start with like medium decisions. Then I feel like it broadly opens up pretty quickly. And then until like after the second market phase, I agree with you. It's like very large. And then I feel like it wanes really quickly because you've committed to a strategy you're trying to execute on. Unless I you're going to pivot. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. But oh, so here's the disconnect. You're talking about the play over the course of a game. I'm yes. talking about my experience with the game over the course of many plays. Okay, okay. Yeah, you see yeah, what I'm saying? You. Yes, okay. okay. Yep, we're on the same page now, and I do agree with you. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about the type of this decision space using our decision taxonomy that you so generously created for us and all of our listeners. I think this is a waning game. I mean, okay. it starts. it starts at a... You're going to wax a little bit at the start, 
or you start pretty big and then you wane down. But as you commit more and more, and I think a lot of drafting games wane. Dominion, another example, where you commit to a strategy and then you see how that strategy plays out. I don't think it wanes as hard as some of the games that we've talked about being waning games are, but the trend overall for me, it is waning as you commit to certain production chains and certain strategies, your, your viable decision space shrinks. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, for those who maybe didn't, haven't listened to that episode on types of decision space, when we say waning, that means a shrinking decision space. The amount of decisions you have in the game decreases over the course of the game. Um, So yeah, so it's interesting. A lot of, Drafting games may do that. There's a little bit of debate about uh, Dominion, right? Because in that game, you're also getting more money and more opportunity to buy different cards. Um, and also, like in, in many ways, this is a tableau builder, right? Mm-hmm. Which is co- typically a classic waxing or growing decision space, right? As you build your engine, you know, you'll have more opportunities to do things. Uh, but I agree with you. I think this is a waning game. And I think that actually positions it pretty uniquely as as you think about a tableau building game which is you know i guess you could we can debate and maybe we should talk about if this is more of a drafting game or tableau building game um but i think it is positioned uniquely as a game with a significant tableau building component that is overall that waning decision space yeah that's really interesting i i think it sets itself apart as from a lot of tableau building games that I've played previously that I think are about those to borrow language from our last episode. Yes, I wanted to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're doing things that give you the ability to do more things. In villagers, you do things that give you the ability to do a couple more things, but not a ton more things, or to do things with a little bit of a bonus, but not dramatically so the snowball never gets to roll down the hill you just get to make that first little snowball and then maybe pack a little more snow in and that's what sets it apart and maybe makes it feel more like a drafting set collection game rather than sort of like a economic tableau building game right the only thing that throws that off is there is that small element of a positive player agency loop in that when you play the cards into your tableau that have the build icon or the food icon, those actually do allow you to do more yeah. on your turn. Um, but it's interesting because like to like clearly that is waxing, like a waxing decision space, right? If if the first turn you can draft two cards and the second turn you can do three, well that's more. Or then the same with the build, but in function, like playing the game like it doesn't feel like you're really doing a lot more (laughs) because each of those decisions is is so i guess similar and so quick that it's like you know it it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're even you are functionally adding a 50 percent more to your turn when you're adding one more build or one more uh draft it doesn't feel like that in terms of decision space because all these decisions are just so small, right? It's like it's another snap decision. So it doesn't feel like it really is growing the decision space. And interestingly, I think it's exactly what you said, Jake. You're doing more, but I don't think you're making more decisions usually. You've committed to specific strategies so that you can execute the strategies at an amplified rate that your actual decisions have gone down because you've laid the foundation of these different production chains that you're going to be doing. So you're executing on plans quicker, but you're not making new plans and like making different decisions in them. There's some, 
there's some really cool ones. There's interesting ones. But on average, once you commit, you're you're waning, even though yeah. you're doing it faster. And and the payoff is always going to be points at the end of the day yeah. or gold, right? We're trying right. to get rich to use the terminology of the game. And but, there's nothing you can do with gold really yeah. beyond get points. So most of the feedback in the game is that incremental victory condition feedback, yes. not not generally the positive agency loop. And it actually, it caps it. Your production, even if you go over five production, you only, you're capped at five. You can only play five cards a turn. You can draft more if you get more and more food, but it has diminishing returns uh, because who cares if you're holding a bunch of cards you don't need that you can't play. So it's capped in both ways. So it's a great example of those sort of positive loops that are constricted in, in a lot of ways. So yeah. it's a cool game. Definitely. And if you haven't, just go back and check out our last week's episode as we talk about all the different types of feedback um, that we could come up with in games uh, from perhaps a, a little bit better of understanding of what we're talking about here. But I think that does do a lot to sort of describe the the feel of this decision space, right? Um, and for as far as clarity, when we think about like are the decisions you're making on your turn fuzzy, right? I, kind of unknowable. Like I think this is my best move, but I'm not really sure. To sharp, like this is clearly the best decision. I think we both agree this is you know way further on that like sharp focus side of decision making. I definitely think that's true, especially because the number, the more you play the game and the more you learn the deck, to your point, Jake, the more you understand how many outs you might have in trying to draft into certain strategies. So it becomes really clear when like there's two wine traders in the deck. Those are the the best card in the production chain for wine. So once you see one out on the table, or if you have one in your hand, you know that there's not another one floating out there potentially for you to get. And that gives you a really clear decision space in terms of uh, approaching, maximizing, building into wine for points at least. Interestingly, that's one of the production chains that gives you food halfway through. And I think for me, really quickly in case that system's unclear, there's cards that you can draft that give you points. Those are gold or silver, which are end game scoring. There's cards that give you food. Those are the cards that give you the potential to get to draft more cards in the game and cards that give you uh, buildings, which is more production, the ability to play more cards during the production phase. Um, with I think some of the most interesting decisions are the production chains that have food in the middle and points at the end and trying to decide when you should uh, cover up those cards potentially. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I, I do think that is uh, an interesting choice. And, and just in general, uh, there is a natural like balance, right? You can't go all in on just building because very quickly you'll get to a point in the game where you just don't have any cards in your hand to build if you're building more cards into your tableau than you're drafting. I'm yeah. no mathematician, but <laughs> I think the math checks out there. It just doesn't add up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so let, let's let's kind of um, continue this conversation and get a little bit more into the kind of the drafting um, and... And, and the type of cards that are in this game, to your point about the deck and how easy it is to like start to understand your out, um, I, the deck itself is, is not that big. Um, it's under 100 cards. It's under 100 cards, but 
all the way back in our first episode, we talked about um, how Kanagawa, it, it seemed clear to us that the designers like didn't want you to play mm. the game of like knowing what cards are in the deck and predicting exactly what could come out um, just based on the way they constructed it. And I feel like Villagers is like on the exact opposite side of the spectrum uh, because they give you a ton of information about the deck in itself on the cards that are going to be presented in front of you on the tableau, such as like the production chains. Each card in those chains at the top tells you all the other cards in the chain. So it's not as though a new player to villagers has to know about the wine trader uh, to to start going down that path. Because as soon as they see any part of that chain, they're going to immediately know all the cards in there. There's the same number of all the cards in the deck, I think, with with a, possibly a few exceptions. Um, the, and the cards show you, you know, on the back, it, it gives you partial information about what suit there are on the back. So that's more information about it. So just looking at the board, you know, you're, you're almost getting like the game is trying to tell you. It's just giving you so much information if you want to look at it about uh, what's there, what's likely to come up later on. Definitely. And I think that for me is the thing that bumps my score villagers from a six or a 6.5 up to a seven, because I think the partial information card backs, I've said before in previous episodes, this is a mechanic I really like. I think it's really interesting. It's actually present in Kanagawa, the game you just brought up, which is curious. It's in Bruges, a game we recently covered, and now we're covering it here. Um, And I think here is one of the most direct versions of that, you know, with most some degree of confidence what you're trying, like with some of the suits, there's only like three different cards that could like be in the, a suit. The right, wine. Like the wine trader, right? The grapes. Yep, exactly. In grapes, exactly. You know you're going to get the base one, the middle one, or the top one that gives you 14 points. Um, and so I think the game of villagers, the way the drafting works between the face of cards that you can draft from or the face down stacks where you only have partial information. I think for me, a lot of the most interesting decisions in the decision space come once you start to learn the deck and know when it's worth taking a risk to take a face down card that would really give you an advantage at a specific point in the game. If you got the payoff that you need and you can look around the table and have a pretty good sense of if that's going to pay off for you. I will say you add more cards into the deck at four or more players. So you had two new types, two new suits, wool and leather. And these are really similar in some ways to wine. They have like basically a similar length production chain and pay out similarly. I think wool actually is a little harder and leather is a little easier, but they're both types that are like worth taking face down risks on that lead to some interesting decisions. And then there's like the base suits in the game, hay, wood, and ore, um, that you can always discard a card from your hand to build the base villager that helps give the game needed consistency. Um, And I think that's a really well-designed element too. Yeah. Definitely. Um, And it's nice as, I guess one thing uh, you need to get some build icons in your tableau early. If you can't achieve that, you're just not going to be able to succeed in the game, uh, which is is one of the, you know, kind of drawbacks about it. However, the base villagers at least provide some incentive to having more food icons than other players early because it it'll give you cards that you can then discard to uh, play those out. Uh, and, and it's 
in my experience, it's not going to be as valuable to you as just being able to build more cards into your tableau. But at least it, it like seeks to balance out in some way. And, and I think, you know, credit to the designer for that. Interestingly, I feel like my notes that I drafted for the episode, Jake, are leading us astray a little bit because it's so hard to like structure this conversation around <laughs> mechanics because everything in Villagers is so interlocked. Like the production chains are interlocked and then there's the lock and key mechanism and there's the food production and drafting. And I think one thing that's so important to the conversation that we should just get out of the way and is part of the most interesting discussion that like informs what you're saying about food versus production versus potentially points early is the first market and the two-phase market system. Do you care if I just like talk about that a little bit? Yeah, no, that like sounds good. Clarify. This for me is also what makes villagers so interesting is so you're going to score your village twice. Once early on, uh, about a third of the way through the game, when two of the face down stacks that you can draft from uh, go away and you have a little bit of agency over when those stacks uh, are taken, because when you put up one of the base villagers, for wood or hay, those sort of base cards that we said, uh, into your village. You can always do that on your turn. You can do like a bunch of them. It's very liberal with how many you can do. You have to discard a card from your hand back into the one of the stacks. So if you put it on a stack in front of that first market, you're delaying when that first market scoring will take place. Or if you put it behind it, you're accelerating when that will take place. So a lot of the strategic consideration in villagers is how quickly am I going to get food in production? Uh, versus do I want to rush points early, try to get some points over my opponent, get a nice little lead on points, and then swing into production and my economy, quote unquote, later on. And I think that informs a ton of the strategy. And if that's not present in the game of the villagers, it's a much less interesting game if there's only one market phase. And it's much, much less interesting if players don't have agency over it. So that's another thing I love about the game that leads to interesting decisions and more strategies, frankly. Definitely. And uh, it's it's another element where, like, to the extent that there are fuzzy decisions, it it props that up a little bit because you may confront with the choice with getting an end game scoring card in the display early on. That would be really good for the the path you're going down and having to decide whether to you know waste uh, a turn, uh, you know, to to draft that over drafting something that's going to help your production. That might not be instantly calculable calculable of is that what how do you say that word calculable yeah you am got i doing it, it right yeah, yeah. it sounded you got wrong it. when i was saying <laughs> well, i'm just gonna keep trying uh, <laughs> um calculable um <laughs> the other thing and this is kind of going back but as you were talking a little while ago um another place where i think decisions do get fuzzy too to give credit to the game it's not as though there are no decisions, right? This is not a, even close to a game of no decisions. And, and another place where things get really fuzzy is trying to calculate the points benefit to you of taking a face down card that might be X over taking face up card that you know it will be worth like six points to you at the end of the game. Uh, and, and the odds of that, that's not easy, straightforward decision making either. Another thing that it does well in terms of fuzziness, if we're uh, is there's <laughs> s- specific points uh, where you always know if you go into wood and you're going to go for the cart right. This is uh, the end, the best villager in the production chain for wood. Uh, it's uh, two villagers to get there. Uh, I forget you need the wheeler and then you need the cart right. Uh, and if you get there, it gives you nine points. 
great. That feels good. You know you're going to have nine points. If you can get there in the first market phase, you'll get nine points then, and you'll get nine points at the end of the game. You know that's a known quantity. But what Villagers does really well is having scaling victory point conditions at, at game end specifically. These don't factor into the first market at all. Um, things like the locksmith, which give you points for how many locks, a different mechanism that we haven't gotten to yet uh, on your different cards or how many wood symbols you have, or maybe how many gold symbols, just the static points on your different cards. And these, I think, as Jake was talking about, really lead to some of the most interesting decisions. Definitely. And let's talk about the starting villagers, because I think that kind of goes into a little bit of those strategies. And then go into the kind of combos in this game. Is that okay? Is that yeah, sound let's okay do it. All right. Let's do it. Because I think this idea that you have, so throughout the game, you have a display of six cards that are face up and six face down stacks of cards that you can be drafting from. Uh, but interestingly, Villagers makes a choice in the design that the starting six cards are always the same. Uh, and, and this makes a lot of sense, I think, for balance reasons. Um, the thing that makes the the variability of this game then would be the cards you're dealt in your hand, which in and of themselves are going to incentivize you taking one of those cards differently. Um, because, you know, like, like you're saying, you might have uh, the locksmith card in your hand, so that makes you really want to, like, you know that you want to go for that. Then, like, the blacksmith is going to be a really important part of that strategy. Uh and, and the, the same can be said for, for basically all of these. And I'm just curious, what do you think of this kind of idea? And also, do you think that this is like a balanced row of cards? Oh, interesting. That's a lot of that's a lot to unpack all at once. I love I think... asking you uh, permission for I did model UN in uh, high school and we always had to like ask the like judges like permission for a two part question. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> now you don't have to ask permission anymore. No, I just do it. Yeah. yeah. So one thing that I love about this design decision is that the first, you can just not tell people about it the first few times they play, right? Like the fact that these are the starting cards is insignificant in the in your rules explanation, in your teach of the game. You literally don't have to tell people that this is a mechanic in the game. It doesn't matter. That's cool. That's good. Um, but I think as I played the game more, I felt like it started to make this game, even though you get a, a starting hand of cards that adds a ton of variety to what you might want to draft, it starts to make it feel a little bit samey because your first few turns, like, okay, am I going like Carpenter Blacksmith? Am I going Carpenter Cooper? Am I going to go just, am I going to draft, go for the Poulter? Am I going to take the Thatcher? And I'm ignoring the Harvester generally, uh, <laughs> which is a solitary card. And I'm surprised it's there a little bit. Um, but I think it's there for some of the higher player counts. And I think maybe a little bit this starts to, and all of these represent potential strategies and potential overlapping strategies that you could pivot into. And I think for me, this feels a little bit like a necessary concession of the design to make sure the game works and feels fair consistently, more so than it feels like a really clever design decision that makes the game better. That I think I think that's very well said. Um, I, when I look at this row of cards, <laughs> I'm incentivized differently. Yes, but it's hard for the incentive of my hand to make me ever not want to pick the carpenter. Yeah, card it's up. amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and then that does, it just seems like 
of all these cards, in most situations, that one's going to be the best. Um, and I think that's like, and maybe that's not true, right? I, I, I've not, I haven't played this game enough to say like, this game is, you know, unbalanced or broken in that way. But that is the impression I get, which is, to me, uh, a criticism. I think that even if the Carpenter isn't totally overpowerful, too strong, I think it's such an obvious first pick. And this might be a natural opportunity for us to talk about the lock and key system a little bit. Um, So the lock and key system is this really clever system in the game where every there's certain cards in the game that aren't necessarily tied to specific production chains. Uh, that when you have a card in your village and you play the card that is unlocked by the card that is locked, there's a, this language is so dumb. There's a card that unlocks other cards. So the carpenter unlocks eight different cards in the game. So if you have the carpenter in your village and you play one of the eight other cards that the carpenter unlocks, you get to put two points on the carpenter, which you'll score in the first market and the second market if you get it by then. So the Carpenter is one of the cards that unlocks the most cards in the game. Uh, The Blacksmith also unlocks a lot of cards, but the Carpenter has a production. So it helps start you with a lot of momentum early. Um, And it just, I I don't know, Jake. Yeah, Yeah, so it gives you you a build icon. So you'll be able to build more cards, which is what you want to do early. That's like the most important thing you could be doing early in the game. And because the the, lock and key mechanism gives you points which you can score twice if you do it early like you're really incentivized to play a card that unlocks a lot of cards early like the carpenter so it just does like everything that you could possibly want a card to do in this game where all the other cards in this row do one thing but not the other like the blacksmith like you just mentioned it unlocks 10 cards so two more than the carpenter Uh, but instead of a build icon it just gives you a static two gold which is nice, but it's not getting your engine going in the same way. You know, the the Thatcher card gives you a build icon and the two gold, but it doesn't unlock anything. So, right, it's like, you know, all these other cards, except for the Harvester, are, and I, the Poulter, I think, is, is very strong too, but uh, all these other cards are doing one of the two things uh, and not both. So... Even if you had a bunch of cards in your hand unlocked by the blacksmith, I'd still be inclined almost to just take the carpenter like away from my opponent. It's I think that's partially what makes it so strong too, is the carpenter ties into so many different types of strategies. It's almost always useful to have because if you end up going into wine, it's useful to have the carpenter because I think if I remember right, it unlocks the cooper, which makes you barrels for your winemaking. So it, the carpenter, or if you end up going into hay, the carpenter is useful because it unlocks your bed builders, which you definitely want if you're in hay um, and getting lots of gold symbols. And I think to me, I, I feel like it. this is the problem with this static system is there was an opportunity for even more variety that the game system itself didn't allow that leads to these sort of static conversations that have the potential to be solved. And obviously solved like solved openings are not necessarily a problem for games, but like I think it works best for chess and most other games should leave it to chess. Well said. And I don't want to make this out. I think listening to this conversation, somebody could hear that, oh, sure. wow, I'll just take the Carpenter every time and then win. And it's not 
like that. You can easily win this game by taking any of these cards yeah. uh, and, you know, employing different types of strategies. But it just seems like all else being equal, you would take that every time. And that doesn't necessarily feel exciting for, for a first turn. But it's not a deal breaker for me by any means. So I don't think people should hear, hear that we're saying this is like a broken game. No, definitely not. And I think that's a really important point to make. If your opponent drafts the Carpenter, you're 100% still in the game. It's just, it feels great to get off to that start. Yeah, and I think we're doing a, this a little bit, but maybe we kind of missed it, but there's a little bit of shaking around in our interdecisional spaceship. Yeah. So let's just stay on this plane. plane this Let's just stay on this train of thought. and talk about uh, any other issues that we have with this game. Let's just air them now. Uh, I have one big issue with this game, which is that it says that it plays up to, like, what, five? One to five players. One to five players. It does not. (laughs) Not well, anyway. Uh, I I think this game is is really not playable at five players uh, because at five players... There's at least going to be one, if not more, players on the outside looking in who just aren't able to get the build icon early in the game that you just absolutely need to be competitive and and have fun playing this game. Maybe by taking like as many unlock cards as you could and and banking on other people playing cards that those cards unlock and then having to pay you money, you could kind of stay in the game theoretically but that's not going to be nearly as fun as playing the actual game and like building up a big tableau it also just makes it a little bit harder to like focus on probabilities that matter and your opportunity it's the same problem that happens in high player count games with face-up markets always too is like the markets are going to potentially change so much between your turn and when it gets back to you that it's hard to want to pay attention and it also you don't always get the opportunity to get cards back at lower player counts. When you're building a base villager by discarding a card from your hand back to a stack, it feels like a press your luck me- mechanic where you could potentially take that card back at a later point. That's harder to have occur at higher player counts because people can just take it from you. It's also um, a more stressful decision because like, you know, you're giving that card to your opponent if they want it. That's, yeah. you know, so it makes that like zero sum nature of it really feel heightened. Totally. Definitely. It, I think that you could, if you wanted to just play a casual game at five, it works. I think as like a fair feeling competitive game, it starts to fall apart. Yeah. I wouldn't play it at four players either. I, I love think, it at two. I think three is Three's fine. Good. I think it works at three, but I do wonder if this is like a star realm situation where like, really we should just be playing this game at two player almost exclusively. And yeah, if you want a, like a crazy chaotic experience, sure. Like, I mean, I'm not telling. Yeah, I'm not telling you don't do it. But if I want a crazy chaotic five player experience, I would go to maybe a different theme or or something that just feels a little bit more fun than just like building a crappy village because I didn't get any of the villagers I wanted. And I think to like shed some light on that, I think the mechanics themselves are designed to make the game want to be a zero sum game in terms of the decisions you're making, right? So like in a two player game, when I'm hate drafting, I'm equally helping myself as I am hurting you. And that element of the game just fades away at higher player counts where 
I can't do what I should be doing in the game to stop the leader because I'm hurting myself too much. And it's the problem that a lot of games with these sort of mechanics can fall into. But some other turbulence, if that's okay, Jay. Yeah, please. I find... <laughs> and also, on the other hand, here's something else I don't like. Yeah, I... It, so... When you're playing at lower player counts, there's going to be cards left over. So an advantage of a higher player count game is that most of the cards get utilized. In two-player games, there's generally, like, if I'm remembering right, between, like, 10 and ten to 20 cards left and in the stack at the end that just aren't generally going to get utilized depending on how much production and food to draft more cards people build into. And that can be really frustrating if a fifth of the cards don't show up and you, because of the strict rigid combo nature of the game are betting on like okay i went into ore because i wanted to get a jeweler i started with the a jeweler's a, a combo chain of four cards i started with two threes and i've really built to it and the jewelers never show up because they're stuck in those cards left at the end of the game it just feels awful like yeah i made smart decisions i slowed the game down as much as i could i like was drafting intelligently and the cards i needed to win the game just never came and like oh i guess i just lost the game yeah. and i'm not saying that a little bit of that is is good having having a, a it adds of cards, it adds to the fuzziness i think yes. that's like a benefit of it because this game is right as we're talking about it's like verging almost comically towards like acute focus of the decision making so it's nice i think there's some benefit to that as well but i hear what you're saying i want f- two to five percent of the cards to live there not 20 percent. yeah and that's the problem is that you could spend 45 minutes playing the game and it feels like a coin flip that you lost um and a lot of games do that but there's better ways to have the coin flips feel fair in terms of human psychology and player psychology than like well i just there's so many cards there you know yeah the, the other thing that i think can be a little frustrating for me is the rigidity of the combo system I think there's a lot of viable strategies in villagers. Well, let's save the combo system because I want to. Well, let's go into the combo system in just like a second. Okay, I'm putting uh, okay. the barf bag back in the back of the seat. Just kidding. I don't feel that badly about the combo system because <laughs> I wanted. I just want to follow up on your point and about cards getting miss going missing. Missed. Right? Okay. missed cards. Um, in that there are other ways that coin flips can come up in this game that don't feel satisfying either. Okay. Uh, this is a, like a very tight system. Two player games are typically pretty close and it's very easy that they can come down to a situation at the end of the game where, you know, there is a, so, t- so you mentioned the jeweler, right? Is it's the biggest off in the game. It's 20 points. Um, and you, you could see that there's an ore card on the top of one of the stacks and you could take it off, and if it if it's the if it's the uh, jeweler. jeweler, you win the game. And if it's not, like you could just you know lose the game on the spot, uh, or like you could just draft a different card and reveal a card off the top of the deck that just happens to be the perfect card for your opponent, which happens a lot with the solitary cards that like pay that sometimes just add. So these are cards that don't require any production chain. Uh, and some of them can just like, you know, oh, like like one of them gives points based on like the number of coins you have stacked on any single villager mm-hmm. card. And if you're going for that kind of strategy, just like having that like flipped off the pop, the top of the deck to give you 
15 points or I guess it'd be an even number 14 points more for like zero effort or buy-in can easily swing the game um and and so sometimes like I feel like the game can come even without cards you know being missed or, or an equal number of that on both players like the game can still feel like it comes down to a coin flip in the last round which isn't super satisfying when it does happen it doesn't always happen but when it does that's not really satisfying for like a 45 minute experience yeah i think also to add to that okay so the situation i need the jeweler there's an ore card on the top okay i can take it and if it's not the jeweler i'm screwed i cannot take it and draft a card and it'll get flipped into the row and if it is the jeweler i'm screwed so i just have to take it i don't really have a decision because i need the jeweler to win the game and if i don't take it and if the turn gets to jake he's going to hate draft it and i'm going to lose the game anyway so i the game is just saying i don't know what the probability is but you have to take this take this random chance of this being the payoff that you need because any way you slice it, it's going to be bad for you if you don't. There's situations where obviously this isn't the case, but a lot of times the you can play villagers because of how it's structured highly efficiently. Like only taking cards that are really beneficial for you, only, you know, paying to unlock your own cards. Uh, something about the unlock system that I think I say in the rules, but we haven't talked about yet, or the overview, is that you can also pay your opponent's cards, but it's just such a bad idea. Except in a higher player account game, if someone's really far behind, I guess you could pay them. But generally, it just feels like a choice, not a decision, because in terms of efficiency, you really only be wanting to play cards that unlock your own cards, because you want to be giving yourself points, not your opponent's points. Obviously, there's times where that's not true, but like generally, I don't think it's a rich decision, a locus of rich decisions in the system. So it's just like a lot of like frustrating things where i feel like the game has said this is how you're going to play me if you want to play me correctly definitely all right that is a lot of criticism i know people are going to be like you get what a seven after Jake bought the game <laughs> yeah uh so let's talk about the combos in this game and actually uh this is kind of like what made me want to suggest that we cover this game on the podcast at all because i do think the way comboing, which I've like putting in like quotes. finger quotes here, happens in this game is kind of interesting and worthy of discussion. Go for so, it. So as we talked about like the rigidity of this game, a lot of it comes down to combos, which are like, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase it, but like they are very much structured in the game. Like each of the production chains in this game are a combo of cards to get the jeweler to pay off for 20 gold. That's a four card combo that the game is telling you, like you have to put together in this order. The lock, uh, the unlock and lock mechanic works the exact same way. It's telling you this card combos with this card. Uh, if you have the, you know, blacksmith uh, and, oh, I have, I don't, what's a card that's unlocked by the blacksmith? Maybe like the glass blower, yes, or something. It, yep. And you have the glass blower. If I and I play it, and I already have the blacksmith, that's two more points for me. It's like a very, very rigid, rigid combo that like actually takes a lot of the creativity that you might find in a game like Magic: The Gathering or Res Arcana games we've talked about on this podcast. Uh, Heck, even completely- terraforming Mars. Yeah, completely out of it. And the first time I played this game, I was like, I hate this. And I think we should talk about on the podcast, partly because of like how much I don't like this system. But I have to say, like, 
maybe this just shows like how weak willed we are as humans, or I should say I am, but like it kind of won me over. Like, even though I know it's like kind of like dumb and rigged, like every time I like, oh, I played the glass blower. I already have the blacksmith. That's like, that's a combo right there. Two points. Thank you. Put that right on my guy. And now it's like the first market. So that's going to be worth four points at the end of the game. Like it just feels good to put them together. Even though the game is telling you like, here's your puzzle piece and here's your other puzzle piece. They fit together like this. <laughs> I was, I'm really glad that this ended at the lock and key system because I agree that the closest the game feels like to having some organic, uh, exciting combo stuff is the lock and key system. I do wish there was even more. Like, if it's there, why not have cards that are locked by two things, right? So, like, that textures it a little more. Then I could, if I have both things that unlock this card that needs two, then we're paying off four, or like, I'm paying you some and I'm taking some. And well, you could, there, I would say there are like, the non-rigid combos in this game are like the silver end of game scoring cards or the Those, special cards or the special cards which do allow you to be a little bit creative in how you're putting your cards together and like the strategies you're going for. Yes, um, that's very fair. Right, like the the locksmith card that just gives you points for locks. That's like allowing you to be like, okay, I'm going to like try and like come up with this strategy or the hey or or whatever that gives you points for all the hay cards you get. Um, that's like a different kind of combo, system. combo, right? It's like comboing all these cards together for a lot of points. It's still not like, wow, I can't believe you like came up with that all on your own that you needed to like build locks because you have the card that gives you <laughs> points for every lock. Yeah. You're not going to like, wow, your friends with your creative deck building or constructing yes. or but, drafting. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still like, it's a little bit more removed, right? You could play the locksmith and only score four points off of it because you're like focusing on other things, or you could try and go heavy into that. So there is like some flexibility and creativity there. I do think it's like game design as sleight of hand. It's like game design as illusion. Because <laughs> I think this combo system is really a rigid set collection system. Like, I don't think these are combos. I think these it's a set collecting game. Very clearly, like, and I will say one thing I love about Villagers and what it makes it a game that you can take home to play with your mom and dad or your parents um, is if you put a card down in front of them and it doesn't have printed on it what the production chain is, all of a sudden this game is like much more difficult to play. And it was such a brilliant design decision to just print what you are looking for, what you need, how ambitious it's going to be, how many cards certain cards unlock, all brilliant things that I think really make the game better. But I don't love that those things come at a cost, right? Like in Keyforge, you can't print on a hysteria that on a, this card being like, oh, there's... 236 potential combos that could come out of this card, right? Like it's that's it's just it's laughable. But in this game, you can because of the system that's set up. And in some ways, the payoff of that is accessibility, which is awesome. And in other ways, the payoff is like it just feels too rigid and like it feels a little lifeless in the way that combos can make a game feel full of life. Right. I hear you and I agree. And like playing with my wife and like watching her like get the jeweler out there like she she actually said she's like watch this this is gonna be awesome or like this is gonna be a lot of points you know and uh 
you know, coming from somebody that doesn't have like the yeah. uh, trading card game background that you and I do, like having her, you know, use the special card to like swap out one of the production chain things so that she could then like plop down the, you know, winemaker on it. You know, there is like creativity like there. Yeah. You can play you know, the tinner to to take your founder, the the card that you start with, to get two founders. That's cool. There's like cool little stuff that you could do. And like to your point, Jake, the, the dopamine hits are real. They're yeah. totally there. But I think a game built around dopamine hits only has a tail so long. But yeah. maybe it's maybe games don't need to be played four hundred times, you know? Yeah, t- tell that to no, no, right. I was going to make a bad joke. <laughs> Who are you going to tell? I don't know. Yeah, tell that to Candy Crush or whatever. Oh, my like, gosh, yeah. As, you know, I'm on level 12,068 of this game. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think I do, to be perfectly honest, like, I think most people who are, like, heavily into this board gaming hobby, um, might are gonna be on the side of seeing through this system pretty quickly but like that doesn't mean it can't be like fun and enjoyable to put them together there are a lot dumber games than this for which is that's a bad way to say it but like there are a lot of games with like fewer decisions less interesting decisions that are still fun to play so i don't think like anyone should be like shamed for being like oh i really enjoy that combo system i will say i if you <laughs> if i came over to your house jake and you were bridger were like do you want to play villagers i'd be like yes let's play villagers that's great like i i totally get if you love this game and there's a lot to enjoy about the game i just think in terms of its decision space it leaves something a little to be desired should we yeah. talk about the mini expansions really yeah let's quickly? do let's yeah well, let's wrap up kind of with that and then maybe some closing questions cool so what do you think? So Villagers has four mini expansions included in the base box. And these are different ways that you can augment the so game these system. these aren't included in the base what? box. This is the Kickstarter, I think, thing. You can get for like five or six dollars more. Okay, it's an add-on. It's an add-on. So like the way the box is set up is that like there's like empty space in it. So it's like you Your can Your production like, chain has a hole. Yeah, it's like you can get more stuff stuff with it and i think even like the newest kickstarter expansion like theoretically can all still fit into like this base box oh that's so cool this is why like it's so great on some hands yeah (laughs) yeah which i actually like like um so anyway yeah let's talk about these so i I should say i've played each of these exactly one time with you so i'm not an expert on them but let's start with the saints so these are give you one shot special starting powers uh so these are literal special cards that you get to start with in your hand and there are a few different ones these are cool these are like unique player powers in what they functionally start to feel a little bit like unless you for some reason wanted to use them to build a card early on and you put them back on the stack for someone else to draft which i think offers some pretty interesting decisions and i actually in my 34 games of villagers I think played about 20 of them with the Saints expansion. I like this expansion. I think it makes the game better. Yeah, I think it's like a small improvement too. Yeah. You definitely don't need it. You're not really missing out on much without it, but it just adds a little bit of variability to the game. 
which is which the game wants i think totally so next up is the scoundrels so this adds player interaction and and some some take that element to the game and yes special cards as well right True special cards as well. And generally, like you, we should be clear, negative player interaction specifically. Yeah, this is the Take That expansion. Yeah, there's like a card called the Barbarian that lets you like clean out all of the road, which are the face-up drafting cards, and collect any gold that might be sitting on them. Uh, a mechanic that we didn't talk a ton about. But basically, these are all Take That cards. I did not feel the need to play with these. I could see certain groups that would be like, oh, the Scoundrels expansion, this is awesome. And that's great. I'm glad it exists for those players. Yeah, it, it seems to make the game just a little bit more like swingy, which yeah. I don't think the game system wants or needs. Perhaps, though I haven't tried it, I think if I were to ever play like a five-player game again or a four-player game, it might be nice to have this because perhaps that could serve as a balancing mechanism. Like if you were somebody who missed out on the early build icons, like you're probably not going to get targeted with these things. So maybe there's some upside to it, but ag- agreed that it's not like not, nothing special for me. Yeah. The next, next up is, Oh, go for it. Sorry. Next up is the Profiteers, the more kind of complex scoring end of game cards. So these are actual villagers uh, that uh, rather than just saying like you get points for every three of the hay type cards, they might give points for like having... Uh, one of each of the different types. Now I can set collect all three. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if like more complex is really right. It seems like about the same level of complexity, but the, I like this one. I mean, it, it, to me, it just adds like more different like paths and, and avenues to getting points. I, I don't know. What do you think? I think Profiteers is good. Uh, I I like that it adds, I definitely think it adds more viable strategic paths, which means more interesting decisions. I also found it sometimes, I ended up playing with it for like five of my games and then backed off of it. Uh, I think slightly just because I was trying to push my ELO up and my win rate up. I was like, I don't want to explore this anymore. And I don't find it quite as much fun as the base game. But I do think if this was a game that I played with the group often, I could see us settling into a game where we played with the Profiteers and the Saints expansion almost exclusively. Yeah. And last is developments. So this one is interesting. Uh, It adds additional three kind of majority cards, I guess you could say, that give you a benefit in the following round if you end your round with like the most of something. So that could be like, one of them is like the most like hay type cards and that one gives you an extra food or something like that. Another one, if you maybe if you have the most builds, you get something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of them give you points, uh, just flat points here. So take five points. Some of them will give you an extra food. Some of them will give you an extra production. Um, what do you think of these, Jake? This is just bad game design, I think. I just can't imagine why this would improve the game. To me, like... The, my experience with playing with this, and, me, and this is coming from one play, so I shouldn't use that harsh of language about it, but the way the game is structured, like once you start going down a path, you're generally like incentivized to continue going down that path. Yeah. So having more hay cards in one round, it's just not very likely, at least in a two-player game, that like that wouldn't continue to be the case for the rest of the rounds if you wanted it to. So it just felt like 
this just makes the scoring like snowball in a way that already kind of can happen in this game. Uh, so I think that just like exacerbates that and makes something that's not really a problem with the design a pretty big problem. Yeah, I felt like they were a little underdeveloped maybe in terms of how they were balanced. I think that the fact that they happen at the end of each round is cool. It gives you round to round potential things you can aim for, but it really, this expansion, despite like there being a negative player interaction expansion in some ways and the different end game scoring expansions or the one shot starting powers, I think this expansion changes the game most and I don't like how it warps the game system. Yeah. I don't think it's a stronger game system with this added to it, That's but it's a cool great. system. It's a cool system, just not necessarily for this game. So let's wrap up with one final closing question, which is like, what is the most interesting decision-making moment in this game for you? The thing that comes to mind most for me, and it might just be because I like the mechanic the most, I think the the most interesting question that comes up is generally for me, that when I'm going to build a base villager, what card should I put back into the face-down stacks? And where should I put it? For me, those are consistently the most interesting decisions where I think there's more decisions that can be made. Uh, whereas a lot of the other things, I feel like even like your starting hand, which I could feel like is a candidate here. Um, sometimes the choices feel made for you. Yeah. For me, it's trying to like find interesting combos between a card that unlocks a card and a card that is unlocked by that card and seeing if I can play them both to get two coins. <laughs> oh my god. I'm dead. No, I, I was actually... I only made that joke because I was going to say the exact same one as you. I think like deciding what cards to put back, where to put back, is like some of the fuzziest decisions. And that really stands out in a game that is so concrete. Um, <laughs> I'm still laughing. <laughs> oh my gosh okay sorry uh, it's just like it's like a maze for like babies books where it's just like you could just see it with your yeah so, i feel so bad because like we like this game like i played yeah. it over 30 times when you caught it you bought it it's a good I, game yeah it's it's like honestly like it's a game that's like easy to criticize but it's still fun to play like i've other than the five player and four player plays this game, I've I've really enjoyed every single experience I've had with this game. Um, and so I do think that's like important postscript to this conversation. Uh, I will say like having this base box and seeing the empty space, like it makes me want to like fill it up. <laughs> and maybe that's just because of like, I would want to do the same with any half empty box, but like, I was looking at the Kickstarter. It seemed like there was some cool stuff. You know, I'm not, I didn't like do the, the late pledge or pre-order or anything, but I think I definitely will consider, you know, it's a cheap game too. Uh, I think it's like in the range of 20s. I bought mine at a, a local game store back when I was visiting home and I was like compelled to like, I went there. I was like, I'm definitely buying something. And I bought this cause I'd been doing it online. And I also bought search for planet X, which, Maybe we can, I can do like a mini review of on a future episode, but I really, you know, have had, had a really pleasant experience with it. I think it costs like $23 or something. The expand, the Kickstarter stuff is like seven. It looked like the MSRP was going to be like 12 on this new Kickstarter expansion. So it's not like, we're, it's not like you're, you know, 
selling out too, too much for what is ultimately a light experience. And it's a beautiful object to add to your home. The art is incredible. The graphic design mixed with the game design is really smart. There's a lot of reasons why this is a cool object to have just in terms of it as a decision space. There is a little bit of things for us to poke with sticks. Yeah. And I could see, sorry, Jake, really quickly. I could see how it's a, it's a simple system, which is a concession for, I think, any player can approach this game, which is awesome. I love that. Having games that you can go to where you can put in front of anyone is great. And there's also a lot of room to build. There's just enough complexity in the system that it, I think expansions could suit this like the fuzziest of socks in the best way. I totally agree. It'll be interesting what they do, though, because it's also you wouldn't want like just more cards into the system. Like I feel like yeah. you'll almost have to like take out a suit to add another in or else things could become you know, more unbalanced and the way you talked about where sometimes you just don't see the card you need. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm interested to follow up. Uh, and I've got a feeling that, you know, when, it, when we get back to a, to a year from now and we're covering this on a look back that this is a game I'll have played a lot more, uh, which isn't necessarily, you know, the case with maybe games that critically we think are better games yeah. because this one's just so easy to get to the table and it's just pleasant. Uh, and, you know, so there's a lot to be said for that. Let's have a popsicle, play some villagers, and catch up with each other on the Decision Space Discord, uh, which you can find in the show notes. We'd love to talk to you about this game, other games, Imhotep, Jaipur, any of the wacky lenses that we've talked about. You can also uh, find myself, Brendan Hansen, on Twitter, at BurnsideBH, or Jake uh, at Jake Freed. That's F-R-Y-D on Twitter. And you should definitely follow and talk to both of us there. Yeah, we want to thank Hembry, as always, for our intro and outro music. Reach out, their new single. Go look it up on YouTube. It's like just a banger, and we're so thrilled that they wanted to be part of this podcast project. Uh, thank you again. Uh, and until next week, take care and enjoy the rest of your game. Bye, y'all. Reach out. Talking back. If it's so morning, up in the hill and up and down, up and back.